0: This is the Bob Olin Show on KDAL. And now all dressed up as a county educator, it's Bob Olin. Morning, Bob. <laughs> hey,
1: good morning, Dave. And it is a good morning. Uh, things have warmed a bit.
0: A <laughs> little snowfall last night in many yeah. places. How well, about an yeah. inch and a half officially at the airport, maybe a little less, a little more, depending upon where you are. Uh, the south shore of Lake Superior is still getting hit. They're expecting three to five inches before it's over.
1: Isn't that something? And we'll go back, of course, to the great snowfall, the Halloween snowfall. What what year was that again when we got the... Uh,
0: 91, (laughs) I think, 1991. Yes,
1: yes, that was incredible. Those of us who remember that one, Mm -hmm. the winter set in. Hopefully we're going to get a little break. Maybe we get a little little warming trend here and... uh, Still get a chance maybe to do some work out in the garden in the yard. What does it look like coming up uh, next week or so, Dave? Well, next week
0: I don't have anything, but this week it looks like below normal all week long. We'll be in the 30s, and normal high this time of year is in the 40s yet. So,
1: Isn't that something? Yeah, it's been, it's been quite a remarkable year. You know, mm-hmm. we talked about that a little bit before. We went from record snowfall. I'm not necessarily looking forward to setting a new record this winter, but... Uh, We went from that little different here. Now, very cold temperatures. That was surprisingly cold. Very warm coming up to that point. I think uh, we were well above normal coming into through the month of October. And then suddenly uh, Saturday night, I believe, it got extremely cold and followed up, of course, with Sunday night. Very, very cold temperatures. No snow. We're freezing up some of that moisture in the ground. I don't like to see that. But nonetheless, uh, we can't do too much about it anyway, Dave. And uh, we're just going to have to adjust our growing strategies. We had a few strategies last year coming into the spring, and we'll see how this uh, this fall continues to evolve and into the early winter and the snowfall and how much uh, moisture we may have in the soil. I am um, a big believer, and this year maybe even more so, that uh, managing your moisture is going to be the key to uh, successful growing. We had uh, a very remarkable year in many ways where we had additional moisture. And uh, irrigation, a little bit of extra water. We had bright sun, moderate but perfect temperatures are growing 75, uh, 78 degrees during the day. And if the moisture was there, then we got through the droughty conditions. If we didn't have the moisture, then we had uh, some difficulty. But I think we have to uh, take a look at the entire growing season from the time we're going to be planting. We might be planting a little bit earlier. Well into the fall, we can't count on anything at any different time. But I think we kind of have to plan for uh, spring crops, summer crops, and maybe fall crops. We had some tremendous growth that occurred once we got the moisture. We had uh, cauliflower, broccoli. I'm just thinking of some of the fall um, cabbage family group that came on so strong at the end. It finished off uh, very, very nicely. So we took advantage of all of that warm fall didn't really have those real killer freezes until much, much later. Probably this last weekend was a real killer freeze, Mm -hmm. which is very, very remarkable. I think a light frost, but um, typically by early October, the season's over. This time it was by the end of October. So I don't know if this trend continues or not, but I'm beginning to think that uh, maybe we've got uh, the potential for even a better growing season. It was overall uh, really quite spectacular. The colors, Dave. You notice the colors in the trees, how uh, mm-hmm. people were so disappointed early in the end of September, October, <laughs> and they came on very, very strong uh, mid to late October. So, uh, yeah, I think uh, climate change and uh, the changing climate, whatever it is, is going to be a topic of discussion well into the future for us, Dave.
0: Well, along the lake, I know the trees uh, still have leaves on them. I'm, I'm kind of waiting to mulch the leaves once they fall, but with snow on the ground, that's going to be difficult.
1: It may be, but if we get above freezing, you know yeah. you know what's good about that? And we get a chance, we can uh, discuss a little bit about basic composting principles. Mm. Did uh, actually some research on composting and find it to be an extremely uh, fascinating process. The reason it's so valuable, compost is so valuable to gardeners in our area is our soils, our native soils. Now, soils are either going to come from uh, one source or another. Your mineral mm. soils come from... Rock, of course, it was degraded over long periods of time. Those are your mineral soils, and that's the base of uh, what most people would consider their backyard garden soils. We've also got organic soils, and, of course, the the origin of that was really plant material. We've got these large peat deposits, which are typically either sedge or sphagnum moss, uh, which uh, decayed over periods of time and uh, actually just partly decayed, didn't go completely into the decomposition. But nonetheless, these are these large peat reserves. These are the organic soils. And typically, we've got kind of mixed. So if we get down in southern Minnesota, the big uh, green, what we call green giant country down on the, near the Iowa border, Lesseur and so forth, we've got mineral soils, but we've also got a very uh, significant fraction of organic material in there. So that combination is is just about ideal. Consequently, these beautiful, very productive soils our soils are a little different. Uh, Most of them are very, very high in mineral content, significantly low in organic content. So we want to add more organics. Organics do a number of things for us. Organics provide a nutrient source, particularly nitrogen, uh, as they begin to decay and break down. And then they also tend to, on a light sandy soil, they hold moisture. On a heavy clay soil, they tend to uh, open the soil up so we get better drainage. So we'd like to add organics. Uh, we've got a, a good sponsor for the program, the garden green product, uh, the Western Lakesbury Sanitas Dairy Districts uh, composted product. That's very valuable for us in this area. And, uh, But you can also compost in your backyard. So you look at your leaves, Dave, you know they're, they're no longer a nuisance. They're actually feedstocks so or they're a resource. Once we get them composted, and we get them broken down into a form that's really very compatible with growth in the garden. So you're going to get another chance. The reason we like a little bit of that uh, that snow on the on them right now, mm-hmm. as, as that soil snow melts, uh, it's going to give you a little bit more moisture. Uh-huh. A good compost pile is going to have about 20 percent water in it. Uh, we got to have that uh, so the microbes can actually flourish and begin to divide quite readily. So. Picking up the leaves, uh, picking up a little of the green grass uh, that might still be there. You know, we're going to let things melt down. I'm assuming we're going to get some 40s. I believe they're in the temp- the uh, forecast coming forward. And that'll all melt. That's going to give you a real nice base. Pick the leaves up when they're moist. Get them in the pile when they're moist. And this will lead to uh, just uh, a very, very fine environment for the uh, bacteria that go to work and break all that tissue down and produce what we call gardener's gold the composted product so it's not all bad dave
0: i'm guessing that compost now do you have to update that every year does it need to be added each year does it i, I don't know leave the ground or what happens
1: well it it begins to break down and oh, because okay. i mentioned the fact we've got so much uh relatively uh, you know our native soils might mm-hmm. be two three percent organic we'd like them uh five to ten percent organic if we could and uh, they tend to break down so yes every year you get this wonderful opportunity to pick those leaves up compost them well and uh, get that finished product and then get that on the garden so i think people should think about it as a a yearly activity again it's remarkable down in the southern part of the state where they have these yeah. naturally higher organic levels this came from hundreds if not thousands of years of deposition of the forested and the uh, vegetative material being deposited so there. They've got this real nice base that tends to stay uh, really pretty consistent in their soil. We have this this process where we tend to revert back to what the native conditions are. So if you uh, added plenty of compost, you brought your percent organic level up above 5%, let's say, and the native levels were two to 3%. If you didn't add any more compost, eventually you're going to work your way back to that native condition. So plan on, on adding it every year compost as much as you can, Uh, compost the leaves, as well as any of the vegetative garden material, compost all those kitchen scraps, the potato peelings, the apple peelings, um, anything like that that's vegetative will certainly go in a compost pile. They're all good, what we call feed stops, and for gardeners, uh, you get a product out the other end that is extremely valuable and will enhance uh, the growing quality of everything you grow in flower or vegetable garden. So
0: yeah. If you don't have a, a, a compost pile of your own, I suppose you can pick that up in the spring at uh, what uh, WLSSD, among other places.
1: Absolutely. It's a great source. And, you oh. know, this was a situation where, at one time, a lot of grass clippings and leaves and other uh, garden debris went into the landfills. And, of course, that was banned, landfill space being more precious, mm-hmm. uh, reserved for other materials. Uh, These materials really are a resource and they just created problems in the landfills as they decompose. So uh, the the result was this uh, municipal compost system and many municipalities have composting areas at least. Uh, Our sanitary district does a very good job of managing yard waste and adding the additional nitrogen that's needed to, to really maintain a real efficient composting process. And they get a valuable product out the other end, which they resell it basically at cost to the, uh, to the public. So it, it's a valuable resource for us, and, and many people do take advantage of it by, by the pickup load, or certainly they bag it up, which is a little mm-hmm. bit more convenient for people. It's all good at this point. Mm-hmm. Not all the leaves are down, of course, particularly when you're close to the lake. But nonetheless, uh, it's, it's a natural process. And in a more native environment, um, you know, they deposited uh, over time naturally. They broke down. i was amazed at how fast uh, some of these, if the moisture is there, if we have a rainy year, not so much this year because it was dry, but if it's really a rainy, uh, a big pile of leaves will, uh, in fact, uh, compost down pretty readily on its own as well. So it's it's nature's natural process of breaking things down, and then, of course, the following year with new leaves, new materials, sunshine, moisture, <laughs> uh, we build things up again. So it's really uh, nature's method of, of recycling materials. All right,
0: we'll be back. we got more of the Bob Boland Show coming up. Uh, it is 9.28 now at KDAO. It is 930, 25 degrees at the airport, 30 downtown, 28 in Superior. Partly cloudy sky after about an inch and a half of snow overnight. And there's still a winter weather advisory in effect for the south shore of Lake Superior. That goes until noon today. Uh, they could see three to five inches of snow. Back with the Bob Olin Show. Bob, uh, what do you got left in the ground? Anything?
1: Uh, well, I, <laughs> unfortunately, I still have a few potatoes to ah, so I'm waiting okay. for, uh, for a chance to pull some of those out of the ground. <laughs> got most of them out, but this one uh, set in pretty readily for me, and I've still got a few spring flowering bulbs I'd like to put in the ground. Ah. Incidentally, if you've got those tulips or, or narcissus or mm-hmm. uh, daffodils that did get in, and i got a few of those, so I've I've got a pretty busy schedule, and I always get uh, something in, but I'd like, i uh, always got a little bit more I'd like to do. Uh, we want to get those in in the, in the fall here. So we get a little break. Uh, there's going to be a crust, obviously, on that soil surface right now, but things warm up a little bit, and that frost hasn't penetrated too far, and we can still get them in. So definitely uh, plant your garlic, plant your uh, your tulips. Uh, get those in yet this fall. Uh, they We can force them indoors and uh, put them in for an indoor display, but they don't do very well if we wait until spring to start to plant them. So make every effort you can. Um, I, I recall some late years where we were re- really even planning them up to, uh, into uh, about Thanksgiving time. So as long as you can get a spade in the ground, get them in the ground. We might have that year. You know, the last two years we've had snow early and then cold temperatures. This might be the reverse. It might be cold temperatures. That was kind of the indication we had over the weekend. Might be cold temperatures without the snow cover. So I think you want to have some clean straw ready to go uh, garlic can be tender even our hardier varieties. so let's get some straw on the top same thing with some of our our tulips in a mm-hmm. in an easy year uh, when we've got plenty of snow cover we really don't need that but right now our uh, tender perennials uh, are going to need some straw look for clean straw once again that's the that's the shaft of a of a grain that's not hay hay will work to some extent for you as it's of course an animal feed but uh it doesn't have that same insulating property. The, the nice advantage of straw is you've got a stalk there with the cell chambers on the inside, and it's trapped there that gives you the insulating value. So you can use that. We talk about the bags. You can get some uh, leaves on top. You can use that as well. But the problem with leaves is they tend to compress, and you lose the insulating value. So if you're going to use leaves as an insulator, put them in a big garbage bag and uh, get the garbage bags on top. So that makes a very good call pillow pack because they stay dry and when they stay dry we retain that loft and actually they're going to break down inside those bags particularly if there's a little moisture and you can have a composting system right within the bag so we can open the bags up perhaps in the spring and spread uh some of that partially composted material on top so it serves multi-purpose for you but bagging is not a bad option uh, particularly if you're going to use uh, those leaves for insulating purposes,
0: Dave. Yeah, and you might want to uh, protect from the critters, too, from those bulbs, cause some of them really like those things for some reason or another.
1: Yeah, they really do. Well, <laughs> there's a lot of uh, nutrient there for ah. them, and uh, they're obviously out there trying to put cal- uh, calories on, trying to get a little mm-hmm. winter fat on their little tallow on them so that they make it through the winter. So, yeah, they're going to go after anything. It's kind of amazing how they sense that some of those are down there. I'm glad you mentioned that. Well, they're it's up in the trees good.
0: watching you plant them. That's the deal, and they figure, oh, look at that. I mean, they are.
1: They're very. There's very, very,
0: supper for us right there.
1: Absolutely, <laughs> gray squirrels. In particular, if yeah. you're in town, you got gray squirrels. You got oak trees around. Uh, they're going to go for that. And if you got valuable uh, bones in the ground, uh, you can pull some screening on top. Ask them off, of course, mm-hmm. in the spring, but uh, hardware cloth or even window screen after you planted the bulbs on the soil surface, just so you don't lose them, because that's, that's devastating. You put a lot of time in, put a lot of money into the bulbs, mm-hmm. and you don't want to just provide dinner for the gray squirrels,
0: that's for sure. <laughs> All right, now the uh, farmer's market is done for the year, I assume?
1: Well, we are, but we've got, uh, and we had a great year. We want to yeah. thank you, everybody because the season really extended. Uh, Really nice vibe in the market. Uh, there's a lot of very, very good health-conscious people, uh, people that are bringing the kids in. Uh, you know, we started this initiative. I feel very good about it, trying to get uh, tokens for young people, trying to get young people to improve their diets uh, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, get away from some of the fast food and getting into more uh, just real food. and. That's worked extremely well. Lots of great uh, families that have come down with their kids. So that's fun. People uh, are more nutrition conscious, and uh, we think we play a little role in that at the uh, Duluth Farmers Market, as well as other markets in the area. Uh, we do have one more event. We've got a Festival of Seasons. It's going to shift just a little bit. That's November 11th, a week from this uh, Saturday. And there still will be a couple of vegetable vendors down there, but sure. that's just more to our growers that are – are growing uh, evergreens, so there will be boughs and evergreens there as well as a lot of the uh, local crafters. We've got about 20 vendors that will be there. That'll be 10 to 3, so it will run much of the day. We start a little later, go a little longer, but again, uh, that will be our last activity, and then uh, one of our growers switches to marketing uh, Christmas trees after that, but Ah. we got one more activity. November 11th, festival season should be a very, very good time, and we'll see some of our friends again opportunity still to load up on some of the uh, uh, winter storage crops. We oh. take a look at potatoes. We take a look at the winter squash, and they'll all down there for folks that still want to get some local product there.
0: People probably already have their pumpkins, and uh, obviously tonight's tonight when you put those on display, if you carve them up, and uh, tomorrow morning you'll have to pick up the pieces after they get smashed in the roads, but that's a whole other story.
1: That's another story, and it, it was a remarkable pumpkin year in many places. Oh, okay. You know, pup- pumpkins are kind of fascinating for me. You know, we've got so many varieties. We have over 900 varieties. And, of course, wow. Minnesota, we've got a record holder, and yeah. you brought that to our attention. You were the first to mention that to me. But our <laughs> our world record uh, pumpkin was grown in, down in Anoka. And uh, by a gentleman who I'll have to get to be, Travis Ginger, who's uh, – uh, he's actually been at this for quite a while, mm-hmm. and he did set the record, I believe, a little over 2,700 pounds, 2,750 pounds, something like that.
0: Yeah, he hauled you it out to California for the, uh, the, I guess, the measurement and the weight, and then he hauled it back. So I guess it's on display now down south in, in Minnesota. Well, I'd like to see it. You yeah. do want to let that freeze. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure how yeah. long it will last, but...
1: I'm not sure, but we know what's on the inside—some extremely (laughs) valuable seeds. Ah. And I know I read—I read the article. It cost him fifteen thousand dollars to grow that one particular pumpkin. So isn't that amazing? Uh, I'm not sure what he was feeding it. I'm sure he's not telling anybody.
0: Right there you go.
1: But nonetheless, he had a lot into it, and I got a nice prize. But the real value is seed. I know I've seen. You know, this is, there are four different species, actually, in this big uh, family called pumpkins that are intermixed with winter squash and literally thousands of different varieties out there. But uh, these large display pumpkins are a little different uh, species, actually, than your your typical jack-o'-lantern And not to bore you with all of the facts. But uh, cucurbita, these are cucurbita, uh, that's the genus, and papo is the big one for our, are halloween pumpkins but these large large pumpkins are different species entirely they're called maximus which is very appropriate because they grow much larger uh they are edible but they're not particularly good for eating right. they are more just for uh, for the enormity of the uh the fruit that that comes from them nonetheless but, uh, you know dave it's kind of interesting because uh, i have uh, read about the fact that some of these prize Pumpkin seeds can go for as much as eight hundred and fifty dollars per seed.
0: Wow! So even so, chances <laughs> are isn't. they're not going to be uh, roasting these particular seeds and eating them. They're going to harvest them and sell them, probably.
1: That's it exactly. Now you can take your seeds out of your your Halloween right. pumpkin, and I tend to do this, and we roast them up with little uh, little olive oil and salt, and they're kind of fun. So you get <laughs> uh, you kind of maximize what you get out of that pumpkin. And actually, there are some. Uh, species, There's been so much breeding done in the, in the pumpkin arena. We've got one, and the name is very distinctive, so I won't forget that. But yeah. the Lady Godiva, if, you, if you're if you going to grow pumpkins just for the seed because it's got a very, very thin <laughs> skin on it, very easy to chew, makes a really good uh-huh. roasting seed. Uh, but the variety there is Lady Godiva. It's not a particularly attractive uh, fruit itself, so you're not going to use it as a Halloween pumpkin. But if you want to grow it out just for the seeds, it's got a very, very thin husk on it, so it makes a very good roasting uh, seed. But you can roast any of them up. That's fun for the kids, too. They're all edible, as as all of the pumpkin varieties are really uh, edible. And, you know, I, I mentioned there's this distinction between pumpkin and squash. People mm-hmm. should know that this spied pumpkin, labeled as pumpkin, uh, is really a winter squash. It's a butter squash, and once <laughs> again, the major canners of this product they're not going to tell you they've had a breeding programs going on for a long time i'm sure and they've got their own very distinct varieties of, of squash that actually goes into that pumpkin pie filling can so um that's fun but you can take some of your if you want to you can take your ornamental pumpkins and uh even though the ornamental pumpkins your halloween pumpkins the jack-o'-lanterns have been selected obviously for their appearance a nice, deep color, the nice, attractive, what we call handles, which are the stems on the top. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they've been selected for those characteristics, not for the good edibility. The pie pumpkins really are smaller. Typically, they have sweeter flesh and a smoother flesh for, uh, for your pies, for your pumpkin pies for Thanksgiving. However, you could, if you wanted to uh, uh, make uh, a pie filling out of the jack-o'-lantern uh, flesh just mm-hmm. because But you're probably going to have to thin it down a little bit. going to run it through a strainer. It's a little coarser. You might have to add a little more sugar. But it certainly is edible, and uh, that's kind of fun. We have a few varieties, Dave, uh, that are actually large pie pumpkins, so you can use them as small ornamentals. And then uh, they really have flesh that's very, very uh, nice on those. And uh, you get uh, kind of double use out of them that way. So we've got some that are close. But there's pie pumpkins, and then there are jack-o'-lantern pumpkins. They're a little bit different and selected, obviously, and bred for different purposes.
0: Well, you can, uh, I guess, <laughs> take all the work out of it by just opening a can. But uh, I guess you can take the time and, and make pumpkin pie out of your pumpkin.
1: Yes, you can. And right. actually, part of this is just the uh, the fun of it uh, yeah. and uh I like to do a lot of things. I do a little canning. I don't do so much that it's no longer, it becomes labor and not fun. I got enough labor in my life, so I, do, I want a little fun. But actually, I like making, uh, for Thanksgiving, I like making my own pumpkin pies. I use the yeah. squash. And uh, if you've got some nice, good butternut squash, give that a try. But I also will use a pie pumpkin and uh, just have some fun roasting them up when the you want the oven on anyway. it's It's actually kind of a, a nice activity, and we are seeing more people kind of going back. They've been staying home since the pandemic. They're doing some of their own, more of their own cooking, and part of that is just the the satisfaction that comes from making your own
0: pumpkin pie. But and not just pies uh, out of squash. Well, you were uh, serving up squash soup, I understand Saturday.
1: Oh yes, <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned that. It's uh, I've got a couple of great, and people are welcome. I'll probably bring the recipes uh, to the uh, market again on November right. 11th, but. Very, very good squash soup. Squash is extremely nutritious. We got a group of folks out there that uh, claim they don't like it. We'll get you started (laughs) on some delicata, get you started on some of this uh, really, really fine pumpkin or uh, squash soup. It is delicious. And because of that deep color of the squash, uh, squash is extremely nutritious. Not real high in sugar content, so the glycemic index is a little little lower. And uh, it's really a very, very good. Uh, fall vegetable for all of us, really.
0: Notice that they're uh, breeding, I guess, pumpkins to have more seeds, or they're breeding uh, uh, things like watermelon to have less seeds. <laughs> That's, isn't that interesting? Weird. It's amazing they it can do that it. kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, it is. It really is amazing, and uh, of course uh, you know, I didn't realize this. Uh, we I used to get some um, Interaction with some of our folks at the sister cities, and you know we've got access to so many different catalogs here. We are so fortunate Uh, in this free economy that we have. You can you can get. I mentioned varieties of pumpkins. You can get them for pies. You can get them for ornamentals. You can get the Maxima. The starts with the Atlantic Giants, but of course this uh, World Record Center doesn't even have a name yet on it. But uh, in that same big group and you got all these catalogs that come in and we kind of just uh, take that for granted. Uh, I found out um, that uh, many other places in the world don't have easy access to the seed and part of it here in the Midwest, we come from an agricultural tradition, we've got lots of different uh, seed companies, uh, Minnesota had several of them, uh, they've shifted a little bit uh, out into California and throughout the world, uh, the, the real large producers of seed that is with the very large breeding programs. but. Mm-hmm. There are literally thousands and thousands of varieties, and where this is so good for us is far north. We can always find some nice short-season warm crop varieties that do well in our our growing uh, season here. So lots to pick from. We're very, very fortunate that way. And uh, actually, uh, right around Thanksgiving, I start getting the 2024 catalogs, and, of course, everyone gets them in their mail uh, very soon after that. So it's all kind of fun. Great growing. It's kind of fun to wrap things up. Uh, did you get your apples off your Harrelson tree, there, Dave?
0: Almost all. There's a few that are up too high for me, and I'm just going to let them drop off naturally. But very few on the tree anyway. So the deer were kind of disappointed as well.
1: <laughs> yeah, the deer watched those come down. As a matter of fact, I was I'll shake
0: the... them down for the deer. If nothing else.
1: And of course, we got deer everywhere. I was shocked. Uh, I was in the East Duluth and uh, had to had to wait for a deer crossing. There wasn't a sign there, but then I heard it. <laughs> So, yeah, again, you have to protect a lot yeah. of things, even if you happen to be in town. But uh, I did see one remarkable sight, a big buck that you'd like to see, or a deer wow. hunter would certainly right. like to see out in the woods. Big, beautiful rack, and he was trying to drag uh, some of those apples off someone's apple tree in their backyard. So, uh, yeah, apples are a good source of, uh, of food for lots of folks, no mm. doubt about that.
0: All right, I got a question for you, too. On the seedless watermelons, how do you keep them going if there's no seeds? I mean, you, the next generation is not going to have a chance.
1: The next generation is not. <laughs> that's that's where this process called hybridization comes from. Ah. So the, parents, the parents actually produce the seed, and then you get a seedless melon. It's got parents that's got seed there. <laughs> okay. Now, that's a little different than bananas. Now, bananas, they take, uh, you know, they're basically seedless. Those yeah. little dots inside that banana is where the... Uh, diminutive seeds that have now diminished. In the case of bananas, the trees, they actually take the cutting, so they save vegetatively. But with ah. with with watermelons, it's the parents that produce the seed, and then the offspring are seedless.
0: Alright, well, we'll take so another right break and <laughs> be right back. More of the Bob Olin Show. More of your questions answered by Bob. Uh, 947 now at KDAL. 9.50 on this Tuesday morning, the last day of October. Once again, here's Bob. Bob, everything has been harvested. Now we got to save all that stuff. So I suppose there's a lot of canning going on about now.
1: Well, I I would think so, or maybe it was just a little bit earlier that people wow. are canning. And, uh, you know, we had this uh, nice activity called the Salza Fest. And there we actually, oh, uh, right. actually checked the gauges, and we had a lot of people. That actually were listening to the program brought there. They didn't even have to attend the uh, the actual educational event, but they brought <laughs> their canning lid gauges in for for uh, testing, which we right. really appreciated. And um there is kind of a uh, Back to the Future thing going on here, where people <laughs> are are looking, and maybe with food prices and inflation hitting everybody, uh, that garden becomes even more more valuable to you, Dave. So uh, people are canning, people are storing. People are freezing, they're drying, lots of different activities, but uh, more than anything, they're gardening. And, you know, it's, it's probably a very good time right now because i got to do the same myself. You know, you had uh, uh, some interesting experiences this year. You had some crops that worked well, some that didn't, some that you wished the timing had been a little better on. Time to take a few notes, and that's what I've got to do. You know, you think you're going to remember all this, and then all of a sudden uh, four or five, six months slips away, and you forget about a few of these things. So I think uh, people might want to uh, take a little look and while their memories are still fresh and just uh, take a little note or two, what varieties work well for you, uh, which ones uh, really kind of disappointed you, how could you have changed your growing practices just a little bit, I mentioned moisture, that, that really came to my attention because it, it was so very dry. But even in a more typical year, we're always going to dry down at some point. And I think consistent moisture is going to be really important. That's where this compost uh, can be extremely helpful. You get the organic level up and you don't have to be near as concerned about uh, irregular water because it's a reservoir of moisture for you. So mm-hmm. I think improving organics. You're still going to have an opportunity to take a soil test yet this fall. A uh, soil test will give you a lot of very valuable information, both the University of Minnesota as well as the University of Wisconsin. You've got public labs, certified labs, and you want to get a certified lab. You want at least one good test. There's a lot of soil test kits out there that people like to buy and they think they're less expensive. But really, you, you want good information, so get at least one good test from a certified lab, University of Minnesota, University of Wisconsin. Just Google uh, Soil Test Labs, University of Minnesota or University of Wisconsin. You get all the the details there, costs, uh, how to ship, just get a general test if you can. You still get a shovel in the ground. You get the results back very fast this fall rather than the rush in the spring. Now, these labs handle both our commercial farmers as well as the home gardeners, and it gets very, very busy in the spring and the uh, response time gets longer accordingly because of the delay that's involved. They only have so much capacity, so it's a good time really to do that at this point. Uh, Taking some notes, I think, uh, once again, we're seeing, you mentioned all the different varieties. I'm just amazed at uh, how much uh, work is being done by the breeders, and we're seeing new varieties out there that have never existed before, some that have come from natural mutations that have been developed you know, we talk about your Harrelson apple. It goes way back into the 20s. They're actually a great Minnesota apple. But we've got a whole series of new ones coming up. Mm-hmm. And I will mention this. Yeah, I just had someone the other day that uh, was going to have a, a tree planted, a uh, very expensive tree. And I thought, why why this late in the fall? My opinion is, uh, yes, you could probably get away with it. We've still got some heat in the soil. But we uh, we don't get a chance to get that root system well-established uh, If you have a choice, we're getting a little late for that. Let's let's delay that a little bit until the spring of next year. Take some notes now. uh, Just kind of celebrate the season. Um, uh, You know, the things that jumped out to me this year was that extended season, some things that went well, some that didn't. Some more interest in the peppers. As things warm up, um, we're, we're more and more successful growing some of the colored peppers and even... Some of the hot peppers. Now, people's taste, Dave, has changed. Mm -hmm. You know, we had that new uh, record-setting pumpkin. We also had a new record-setting hot (laughs) pepper, which you're perhaps well aware of. And uh, a lot of people now are beginning to... uh, They're making salsas. They want a little more heat, even the Scandinavians. And uh, so they're working their way up that... What they call the Scoville Index, which is an index of just how hot a pepper is. And, of course, we got a new leader. It was the... uh, uh, the Carolina Creeper that was up there at the top. Carolina Reaper, not Creeper.
0: Yeah, It's <laughs> it either was one. Yeah. The
1: Creeper, but <laughs> the Carolina Reaper, which was at the top of the Scoville Index, and now we've got Berex, which set a new record, and that's um, multiples times hotter than that Scoville. Um, and then the Carolina Reaper. So uh, there's a lot of interesting breeding going on of all types. But I think that, um, you know, we're going to look at a little bit more of some of these warm-season crops. We're going to look at more of the sweet potatoes and more of the uh, colored peppers and other things that were a real challenge for us. We've got some earlier varieties, but we've also got a little prolonged extended season, and we've got a few techniques for growing some of these things, warm-season crops as well. So lots of excitement. The gardening uh, hobby continues to grow And uh, wait till you see the catalogs that come out again this year. I'm sure they're going to be in full color. And uh, this is all very good because it's a very, very healthy kind of hobby. I think we're outside. You know, you get the enjoyment of growing things. You're never going to be 100% successful. So there will be, obviously, every year some disappointments. But uh, you get the the value of this great hobby. (laughs) Excuse me, but you also get the... uh, if you're growing uh, edibles or vegetables and fruits, you get uh, great value that comes from uh, that vegetable garden or those fruit trees, yeah. Dave.
0: Hey, Bob, how many varieties of tomatoes did you say are out there now in the catalogs?
1: Oh, boy. Thousands? Thousands. <laughs> There are thousands. Wow. When I was asked that question, I just peeled open and I have a lot of commercial <laughs> varieties, and I could I could count fifteen hundred. Wow! And I had to estimate uh, just what was in front of me in the print catalog. So there are literally thousands wow. of them out there. And
0: I suppose they, they keep coming varieties. up with new ones every year too.
1: Always, and they're yeah. always looking for younger, sweeter. Now the big thing for the breeders is yeah. uh, try to get some of the the heirloom flavors. You know, uh-huh. we talk about some of the brandy wines, uh, some of these. Uh, old Amos varieties that uh, really they don't ship very well. They don't last very long on the counter, but boy, is the flavor there. So now that's one of the things that I've noticed the breeders are doing. They're trying to bring back some of that real great tomato flavor, some of the juiciness mm-hmm. into a tomato that will mature a little bit uh, earlier and will have a little tougher skin on it, so it'll keep just a little bit longer. So that's one of the themes. Again, we mentioned color. As a matter of fact, I I may do just a spring programming on all the different colors. <laughs> the colors are represented by all of these very interesting uh, antioxidants wow. and the pigments that are there. But color seems to be a great big theme out there, everywhere right now. So right. we're seeing colored potatoes, colored cauliflower, great diversity of color in tomatoes, great diversity of color in the uh, in the peppers. So. There's a lot of real interesting work being done uh, by the breeders, both at public universities and grad universities typically have a lot of uh, a breeding program somewhere, uh, as the apples is an example at the University of Minnesota. Potatoes actually at the University of Wisconsin, they've got a great uh, breeding program there along with a lot of other things. So our school kind of has an area where they're, they're kind of focused on. And then, of course, we have the commercial industry where most of the, the work's being done, and... We are the beneficiaries. Uh, It goes typically first to the big commercial farmers. Then a lot of these varieties trickle down to us in the retail catalogs as well. So it's all good. Uh, Good growing season. We're looking forward to next year. But take a few notes now and put together a little plan for how you'd like to make that that Garden Hall be even more enjoyable for the next year,
0: Dave. All right, thanks, Bob. And we'll have another Bob Olin Show on the way for you next week. It'll be our first November show for the Bob Olin Show.